I'm Timothy Putnam, your host for the next hour. Thanks for tuning in. Each week we gather here together to examine the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications our faith has on our daily lives so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, we have a full show for you today. It's going to be a great show. I'm glad that you're tuned in. Uh, we're going to be talking with Charles Beard, who is a member of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Society in Green Country, which is an area of north in the northeast of Oklahoma. We are also, later in the show, going to be giving away a beautiful icon of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Uh, it's courtesy of catholicsacramentals.org. Uh, so go and take a look at what they have to offer. We're going to put up a picture of that icon on our Facebook page so you can take a look and see what it is uh, that we're giving away. Uh, you can find that at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Of course, we also have a Twitter account. That account is at outside the walls there on Twitter. And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you have some thoughts about the show or you want to get involved in the conversation, jump on over to Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls or Twitter. The handles at outside the walls and and uh, join that conversation. You can also leave a message on our comment line. Uh, at 918-928-KPIM. That's 918-928-5746. So as you're listening today, if you have a, a thought that uh, that's provoked uh, and you want to provoke back, well, then pop on over and join the conversation. Today, we're going to be talking about just structures and a just wage. Maybe a little bit of a a controversial topic. It's certainly one that is uh, in the forefront of the media, but they're looking at it from a political aspect. And what we want to do today is to look at the implications our faith has on this topic. And we want to look at it from a spiritual perspective and not a, a political perspective. And so since we're getting very close to uh, May 1st, which is the feast day for St. Joseph the Worker, uh, we wanted to approach this topic. So we're going to open in prayer, go through our scripture readings, and go through our reading from church history. Uh, and our, our prayer today comes from the breviary, from morning prayer, for the memorial of St. Joseph the Worker. So let's pray together. The Lord is the giver of holiness. Let us turn to him and pray. Holy God, raise us up to new life in holiness. Lord our God, you called our fathers in faith to walk before you in holiness of heart. May we follow in their footsteps and obey your command to be perfect. Holy God, raise us up to new life in holiness. You chose Joseph the righteous to care for your son in childhood and youth. Teach us to care for Christ's body by caring for our brothers and sisters. Holy God, raise us up to new life in holiness. You entrusted the earth to mankind to people it and make it prosper. Inspire us to work wholeheartedly in this world, seeking always to give you glory. Holy God, raise us up to new life and holiness. Father of all mankind, do not forget what your hands have made. Grant that all who work may have secure employment and a fitting standard of living. Holy God, raise us up to new life in holiness. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God our Father, creator and ruler of the universe, 
in every age you call man to develop and use his gifts for the good of others. With St. Joseph as our example and guide, help us to do the work you have asked and come to the rewards you have promised. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. We're taking our scripture readings today from April 25th, 2015, and you can get those readings for yourself any number of ways. The first way is to go to Mass. These are the readings that are read at Mass, Uh, and if you go to Mass every day, then you're going to know what scriptures the church has put in the lectionary. It's it's, uh, nice and easy that way. You can also go to the USCCB website, usccb.org, and they have the daily readings listed there. Uh, If you want to get a little bit more in-depth, you can also buy a Verbum library. That's uh, verbum.com. It's a great program that uh, cross-references all of the the documents of the church and the catechism and church fathers all together with the scripture of the day. So if you want to take the the scripture of the day as a way to launch into study, uh, I encourage you to go over to verbum.com. Our first reading today comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. Beloved, clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but bestows favor on the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your worries upon him, because he cares for you. Be sober and vigilant. Your opponent, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in faith, knowing that your brothers and sisters throughout the world undergo the same sufferings. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory through Christ Jesus, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you after you have suffered a little. To him be dominion forever. Amen. I write you this briefly through Silvanus, whom I consider a faithful brother, exhorting you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Remain firm in it. The Chosen One at Babylon sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a loving kiss. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. That reading again comes from the book of First Peter, chapter 5. The responsorial psalm today is Psalm 89, Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. The favors of the Lord I will sing forever. Through all generations my mouth shall proclaim your faithfulness. For you have said, My kindness is established forever. In heaven you have confirmed your faithfulness. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. The heavens proclaim your wonders, O Lord, and your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can rank with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the sons of God? Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. Blessed the people who know the joyful shout. In the light of your countenance, O Lord, they walk. At your name they rejoice all the day. And through your justice they are exalted. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. Today's gospel is the gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Jesus appeared to the eleven and said to them, Go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe 
will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak new languages. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. But they went forth and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word through accompanying signs. That gospel again is the gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Today's reading from church history comes from St. John Chrysostom. Later in the show, we're going to be talking about our responsibility to the poor. And that's something that we see brought out very clearly here in this homily by St. John Chrysostom on the Gospel of Matthew. Do you want to honor Christ's body? Then do not scorn him in his nakedness, nor honor him here in the church with silken garments while neglecting him outside where he is cold and naked. For he who said, This is my body, and made it so by his words, also said, You saw me hungry, and did not feed me. And inasmuch as you did not do it for one of these, the least of my brothers, you did not do it for me. What we do here in the church requires a pure heart, not special garments. What we do outside requires great dedication. Let us learn, therefore, to be men of wisdom and to honor Christ as he desires. For a person being honored finds greatest pleasure in the honor he desires, not in the honor we think best. Peter thought he was honoring Christ when he refused to let him wash his feet. But what Peter wanted was not truly an honor, quite the opposite. Give him the honor prescribed in his laws by giving your riches to the poor. God does not want golden vessels, but golden hearts. Now, in saying this, I am not forbidding you to make such gifts. I am only demanding that along with such gifts, and before them, you give alms. He accepts the former, but he is much more pleased with the latter. In the former, only the giver profits. In the latter, the recipient does too. A gift to the church may be taken as a form of ostentation, but an alms is pure kindness. Of what use is it to weigh down Christ's table with golden cups when he himself is dying of hunger? First, fill him when he is hungry. Then use the means you have left to adorn his table. Will you have a golden cup made, but not give a cup of water? What is the use of providing the table with cloths woven of gold thread and not providing Christ himself with the clothes he needs. What profit is there in that? Tell me, if you were to see him lacking the necessary food, but were to leave him in that state and merely surround his table with gold, would he be grateful to you? Or rather, would he not be angry? What if you were to see him clad in worn-out rags and stiff from the cold, and were to forget about clothing him, and instead were to set up golden columns for him, saying that you were doing it in his honor? Would he not think he was being mocked and greatly insulted? Apply this also to Christ when he comes along the roads as a pilgrim looking for shelter. You do not take him in as your guest, but you decorate floor and walls and the capitals of the pillars. You provide silver chains for the lamps, but you cannot bear even to look at him as he lies chained in prison. 
Once again, I am not forbidding you to supply these adornments. I am urging you to provide these other things as well, and indeed to provide them first. No one has ever been accused for not providing ornaments. But for those who neglect their neighbor, a hell awaits with an inextinguishable fire and torment in the company of the demons. Do not therefore adorn the church and ignore your afflicted brother, for he is the most precious temple of all. That reading from church history comes from St. John Chrysostom, early church father and doctor of the church, in a homily he gave on Matthew 25. We need to sit with those words for a while. Uh, we need to, to let them soak in and, and, and challenge us and maybe even frighten us a little bit uh, because the words of Christ in Matthew 25 are even stronger uh, than the words given to us by St. John Chrysostom. I'm reminded uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked with, um, with Deacon Kevin Sartorius and he mentioned th- this phrase out of uh, Deus Caritas Est, the, uh, God is love, the encyclical about the church's deepest nature. And that phrase is this, the church's deepest nature is expressed in her threefold responsibility of proclaiming the word of God, of celebrating the sacraments, and exercising the ministry of charity. Those three things are what what, uh, Pope Benedict XVI expresses as the church's deepest nature. And if we are to be members of the church, if we're to be members of the body of Christ and part of the church's mission here on earth, then we have to express each of those threefold responsibilities uh, in our own lives, proclaiming the word of God, celebrating the sacraments, but not just that, much more than that, exercising the ministry of charity. When we come back, we're going to be speaking with Charles Beard. He is a member of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community here in uh, the Tulsa area. We're also going to be giving away a beautiful icon of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, courtesy of catholicsacramentals.org. So stick around. You are listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. You can join our conversation on facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls or head on over to Twitter. The handle there is at Outside the Walls. We'd love to have your participation in today's topic. Of course, we are talking about just structures and how we treat the poor, just wages as well. Uh, Of course, this is a a touchy topic that is fraught with uh, ideological baggage. And this is one of my pet peeves, frankly. Uh, And so you are going to be privy to that. Uh, It it is a frustration of mine when we hear buzzwords from an ideological position that we don't hold. And as soon as we hear those buzzwords, we shut down the conversation. We, we figure out in our mind, it's what I call imaginary conversations. We figure out in our mind every point that the other person holds because we know that ideology. And it basically gives us license when we have those imaginary conversations 
to uh, to no longer treat the person as a person who's worthy of uh, dialogue and discussion, uh, no longer worthy of having any good points. We treat them like they are their argument. Uh, you know, I, I look on uh, news sites and blogs, and I, I'm a Facebook person, and so you, you see all of these uh, th- these articles that may be fine articles, but the the headlines are "Watch how so and so dismantles Hillary Clinton." Watch how so-and-so dis, uh, destroys Ted Cruz. And it's like, you know, these are people who maybe we agree with and maybe we don't, uh, but they're not, they themselves are not to be dismantled or destroyed. They're, they are a person of invaluable worth created in the image of God. And, and this is really a symptom of, of a larger problem that we're going to be talking about today with Charles Beard a member of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community here in the Tulsa area. really covers a good portion of green country altogether. Charles, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Timothy. It's great to be here. Glad to have you. So, Charles, we've had several discussions uh, over the years, over um, generally over food, coffee, some such, uh, and we don't always agree with one another. Not all the time, no. But but here's the thing. Uh when we when we look at these issues specifically you know bringing that chrysostom reading up and we're looking at the dignity of the human person we're not talking about political solutions and so often we just assume that oh we hear the rights of the poor or just wage or anything along that lines and we encapsulate it we grab it we compartmentalize it into the political sphere and and i hear people say well we don't need to talk about that that's not something for the government to do that's something for the church to do or the opposite side we need to make social programs so that people uh, have what they need and and we just automatically uh, leave any idea of the religious viewpoint uh, and jump straight to economic solutions. And we're not here to talk about economic solutions today. No. What we want to talk about is what are the implications our faith has on these questions. We're not going to deal with the answers. Uh, we're going to deal with the fact that no matter what our political point of view, we have to address the question. So talk to us just a little bit uh, about your work with the St. Zita Catholic Worker Community here in the area and and uh, just kind of bounce off of what I've said with uh, your own thoughts. Sure. It's interesting that you bring up economic solutions. Um, Christianity doesn't have an economic system uh, mm-hmm. to any significant extent. Uh, we don't have best business practices. There's no ideal Christian form of government, um, anything of that nature. People have tried to come up with that stuff and perhaps with varying levels of success, but where Christianity is best is at the level of the person. Economics kind of by definition has to deal with large numbers. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with if this government program helps this many people, takes this many tax dollars, whatever. Uh, On the other hand, if you eliminate government programs, you're doing, you're saving this many dollars or you're cutting funding to this many programs. They're, they're enormous, unfathomable numbers Christianity is at the level of the soul. Catholic Worker was established in 1933 um, by a bunch of ex-communists. They maintained a lot of the ideas that are associated with the left. They wanted uh, communal ownership of property. They wanted to live in voluntary poverty. They weren't interested in making money. However, they... uh, they, they took ideas from what we associate today with the right, the idea of Russell Kirk that small is beautiful, that, mm-hmm. we, uh, that we need to 
to get down into the nitty gritty and approach people um, face to face, cheek to cheek, as it were. So they established a newspaper that, you know, protested every war you could possibly imagine. Um, they uh, established a soup kitchen, a house of hospitality, all of this sort of They bought a bunch of farms. What I find is just fascinating is that we hear terms like Catholic Worker Society and and uh, former communist, and we, we have already this picture in our head of what they must have been and what they must have been like. Uh, and, and gosh, we're opposed to that because America. Uh, and yet... <laughs> Uh, those same things are true of St. Francis and his early community. Oh, and, yes. And we love St. Francis. And so we've got St. Francis, this beautiful person who wanted to live in poverty, and then we have those dirty ex-communists over there. And, and there's this uh, this di- uh, dichotomy that we introduce in, in our own way of thinking. It's almost this cognitive dissonance uh, of how we treat... Uh, other people who share our faith. Well, you, there's that quote that's uh, that St. Francis certainly did not say was preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Right. Saint, perhaps some of the difference is that St. Francis was preaching, you know, he was preaching mm-hmm. to the birds or to the people of San Damiano or whatever. Uh, the Catholic workers uh, did not preach generally. They, they came about, you know, this is before Vatican II. There was no, there, there was no lay preaching to speak of. So they were lay people. They weren't priests for the most part. They they uh, preached by acting. They just well, did the work. But Christ said, they will know you are my disciples by your love. Right. So in that sense, they really were preaching. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's what we try to do with St. Zita in, here in Broken Arrow. Um, we've adopted uh, an apartment complex. Uh, I, I won't bore you with the details of, of the type of apartment complex it is. But there are a lot of folks who live there who are behind on their rent or they their legal status might be questionable or they might not have any food at all. Um, so we take them lunch once a week um, and just have become friends with these people. At, at first, the idea was we are going to be friends with you whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, we were showing up every Saturday. It doesn't matter if one person showed up. We were there. Yeah. It is still not very big. Small is beautiful. So, you know, we might have 10 people on a Saturday, but we've gotten to know them, become friends with them. They can tell us their problems. We can tell them our problems. And um, if we are in a position to help somebody, whether that's paying off back rent or buying groceries or finding a job, getting legal representation, uh, we can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't wait for people to approach us. We go out and find people. And when someone says, why do you do this? Well, it's because we love Jesus. Uh, it's because of the incarnation. Um, because God became a human being, I find God in you, a human being. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we get this uh, this idea, you know, new and improved, bigger and better, that we have to uh, do everything. And that's daunting and it gets overwhelming. We look at it and say, well, you know, how, how can you help everyone? I only have so many resources. Uh, and what you all do so well is say, well, it's not about helping everyone. It's about helping those within my means to do so. Yes, that's exactly right. And um, doing more than than giving money. Mm-hmm. Um, every charity in the world wants money. We want money. You can send us money and I'll be perfectly happy to take it. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, what we emphasize is, is helping directly. Um, yeah. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. My two-year-old climbs into bed at about six in the morning and wants me to wake up. So the way he wakes me up is he gets really close to my cheek. Uh, I'm touching my, my hand to my cheekbone right here and going, dad, 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 that 
And that's the way God approaches us. And that's the way we should approach everything we do, whether that's evangelization or direct assistance to the poor, just get really, really close. And then you'll find God in those, in, in those intimate encounters with the other. So Catholic worker, you have this, uh, this idea of pressing in, uh, hands on, uh, finding Christ in the other, that Matthew 25 concept of whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. So you see Christ in them and you, you serve Christ in the poor but Catholic worker does a little bit more than that as well, because you also seek Christ uh, together corporately through prayer. So tell us a little bit about that aspect of the Catholic worker uh, community. That's correct. Dorothy Day, the co-founder of the Catholic worker movement, the, who started the first Catholic worker newspaper in New York, prayer was um, an incredibly important part of her life. Uh, as a result, it became an important part of the movement. Uh, on the early Catholic worker farms, they would have retired priests come in and say Mass every day. Uh, that was not directly an evangelistic thing. Um, I'm always I always reminded of the story of uh, they had an uh, old Protestant Irishman living in the barn of a Catholic worker house um, somewhere, I think, in northeastern Pennsylvania. And that barn happened to be where they said Mass every morning. And he would wake up because of the bells of the mass or something like that, and then would complain and say, I can't believe your married worshiping hocus pocus is waking me up every morning. They always offered, you know, you can move to a different bedroom. We have room for you elsewhere, but he would not move because there's, there's something about the mass that, that is, that is captivating, even for those who outwardly dislike it. Right. Um, we've kept that, that tradition in our own community. Uh, right now what we do is we meet for Vespers once a week, uh, one one week at a Catholic church, one week at an Episcopal church, um, kind of back and forth like that. Um, on Sunday evenings, we just, we get together and we pray. We pray for the people we serve. We pray for our friends. Someone's having a problem in a relationship. Someone's father's ill. Um, and we, we remember them and hope, and hopefully our work frees up the people we serve to pray themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the, I'm going to get lefty here and I apologize. Come on, bring it. <laughs> One of the, the problems with capitalism is that it has destroyed the Sabbath. The, uh, mm-hmm. the corporation that, that filed the, the lawsuits to destroy the, the blue laws in the South that prohibited shopping on Sundays was Walmart. It was because they wanted to be open. And because of that, people are now working seven days a week um, and they don't have time to go to church because they're not making enough to, to, to live without working six, seven days a week. Um, so hopefully... Our work uh, makes things just a little bit easier so that someone doesn't have to work every single Sunday. You know, I'm going to push back on you a little bit there because you said that that's a lefty concept. Uh, and yet I don't think that it is. I, and we're going to address that when we come back with a, a beautiful quote from uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, who was not that really, diehard socialist, that diehard socialist, not really a lefty. Uh, So when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about just structures and just wage with Charles Beard, a member of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community here in Green Country uh, in the northeastern corner of Oklahoma. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. 
We're talking today about just structures and just wage. You may be wondering why. Well, May 1st is coming up, and that is the uh, the feast day of St. Joseph the Worker. Uh, and so we're looking at what the church says about the dignity of labor and the rights of the poor. Uh, and to do that, we're talking with Charles Beard, uh, a member of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community here in northeastern Oklahoma, uh, a section of the, the state that we call Green Country. Uh, and right before the break, uh, he, he pushed on me a little bit. He said that uh, he was going to bring up a, uh, a topic that was a little lefty. And, and I wanted to push back against that, Charles, because there is a, a quote that's meant quite a bit to me uh, in my own uh, wrestling with this topic. And it comes from the inaugural session of the Fifth General Conference of the Bishops of Latin America and the Caribbean. You can find it on the Vatican website. I generally get to it by, uh, by Googling inaugural session aparecida, A-P-A-R-E-C-I-D-A. And if you spell it wrong, Google will fix it for you because I've spelled it any number of ways. But in that, Benedict says this, What is this reality? What is real? Are only material goods, social, economic, and political problems reality? This was precisely the great error of the dominant tendencies of the last century, a most destructive error as we can see from the results of both Marxist and capitalist systems. They falsify the notion of reality by detaching it from the foundational and decisive reality, which is God. Anyone who excludes God from his horizons falsifies the notion of reality and in consequence can only end up in blind alleys or with recipes for destruction. Undoubtedly, the fundamental question about the way the church, illuminated by faith in Christ, should react to these challenges is one that concerns us all. In this context, we inevitably speak of the problem of structures, especially those which create injustice. In truth, just structures are a condition without which a just order in society is not possible. But how do they arise? How do they function? Both capitalism and Marxism promised to point out the path for the creation of just structures, and they declared that these, once established, would function by themselves. They declared that not only would they have no need of any prior individual morality, but that they would promote a communal morality. And this ideological promise has been proved false. The facts have clearly demonstrated it. The Marxist system, where it found its way into government, not only left a sad heritage of economic and ecological destruction, but also a painful oppression of souls. And we can also see the same thing happening in the West, where the distance between rich and poor is growing constantly and giving rise to a worrying degradation of personal dignity through drugs, alcohol, and deceptive illusions of happiness. Just structures are, as I have said, an indispensable condition for a just society, but they neither arise nor function without a moral consensus in society on fundamental values, and on the need to live these values with the necessary sacrifices, even if this goes against personal interest. Now that's just a, a snippet, gathering from a couple of different places, uh, from Pope Benedict XVI, uh, May 2007, at the inaugural session of the Fifth General Conference of Bishops of Latin America and the Caribbean uh, at the Shrine of Aparecida. So 
what I see in that and what really challenged me when I first heard it and, and made me kind of reevaluate my view on things. Uh, and we, we saw this with Francis as well when he talked about unfettered capitalism and, and people got all up in arms, uh, is this idea that any economic system in and of itself does not produce justice. Justice is produced only when there is a prior morality uh, prior values communally in the community, I guess that's redundant, uh, beforehand. Uh, and that's something that, that really is only produced, uh, or at least best produced, through, uh, through the church, through belief in God, through dedication and commitment to living out those things which Christ commanded us. Yes, that's absolutely right. S- structures in and of themselves are only structures. Justice is about people. Um, giving the person uh, what he is due. Well, you ask yourself, what is the person due? The person is Christ, or at least Christ identifies himself as the person. Well, Christ is due everything. Right. The way that uh, manifests itself is going to vary in different societies and different times, different legal structures. Uh, I, I am under absolutely no illusions that you have to pay everyone uh, you know, a million dollars an hour. I'm not trying to argue that by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination. What I would like to push back against is this idea that that work is simply an exchange of services or goods for money. Right. Work, because again of what Christ did, and uh, by example of his father, St. Joseph the worker, is sacred. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're, when you're, uh, when an employee approaches you or when a potential employee approaches you, and says, I would like to work for you, then, you know, he, he is asking to undertake a sacred obligation, right. whether you're taking a job, offering yourself for work or opening up a job. Um, you're trying to create a good that is beyond what your what your own self is capable of doing. Well, let's let's take this back just a little bit to the idea of even if we're talking about a job as an exchange for goods and services, right? I'm giving you a service, you're giving me money. Let's just assume that that's the case. Let's still look at our responsibility in that. Because if we are requiring a person to to attend to our needs and to the job that we need done for a specific amount of time that takes up really all of their working hours, all of their, uh, their physical ability to work, then we have to, to realize that we are responsible to take care of them. You know, right, we are taking up the whole of their working life. Uh, if we're taking, whether it be forty hours or or sixty hours or or whatever there is, we have the responsibility one to provide them a Sabbath. Right, we have to provide them the ability to rest because uh, it's something that's commanded by God and something that's commanded by God because we are created to need that. Right, and so the first thing is we have to make sure that we provide for them a Sabbath. But the second thing is we have to know that if I'm taking up all your ability to work, right, all the hours that you can work, then I can't leave you with less than you need to feed yourself and your family. Right. That, and that gets tricky as to, how, as to how you apply that in a particular situation. I have right. no idea what the proper minimum wage should be, right. if there should be a minimum wage. I'm not arguing anything of that nature. But I, I am agreeing with you that if you are... Um, if you are providing somebody a job and you know that this person has X, Y, and Z needs, you're not going to know all of their needs, but you're going to right. know a sufficient amount. Make sure that that person um, is not going to be turned out of their house on what you're paying them. Right. 
Well, and you know, I hear people uh, who who jump to the economic realities and they jump to uh, economic solutions and they say, well, you know, it's not feasible to do this. It's not, uh, you know, you can't do this across the board. And if people want a better wage, they should apply themselves and they should go to school and they should learn a trade that gives them uh, something that will give them a better pay. And I want to push back against that uh, because I, I look at this as really the degradation of the human person. We, we label that person as, oh, well, they're just a, a ne'er-do-well. They, they, they're, not, they're uneducated and so they don't deserve more. It's what the market can bear. And, and I think back to, uh, back to the Depression. There was a time where we looked at people who didn't work and we labeled them and said, oh, go get a job, right? And, and then if a person was applying themselves to dignified work, that was enough for society. But now we've, we've transversed that place. And now we're in a place where it's not enough for you to do dignified work. It has to be uh, work that we deem is worthy, right? So now, now it's not enough to get a job. Now you need to get an education. Now uh, you need to get a good job. Now you need unquote. to get a good job. If you want to provide for your family, it's not enough for you to get a job that we would give to teenagers. Now you've got to give, uh, get a job uh, that demands either a bachelor's or a master's or, or more. Uh, and, and go into a tremendous amount of debt in order to do so. When there's really not even the structure for them to be able uh, to, to even approach that level of education because of the structures, as Pope Benedict talked about, that create uh, injustice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, these are, are touchy topics. And yes, I'm probably setting off some, uh, some anger flares here and there across my listening audience. But, but these are questions that we have to look at in light of our faith to get out of uh, our political understandings and political realities, which are very Western and they're very limited uh, to our own cultural context and realize that our faith uh, has some principles, some questions that must be answered, must be addressed at the very least, uh, that, that extend beyond our cultural realities, uh, that, that are applied just as equally in South America as they do here, as they do in, in Russia. Right. Right. Uh, and so I look at this idea of what well, you just need to go get an education. You just need to go get a job. And yet now, if that person were to take any government assistance in that, uh, some of those same people would be, would be frustrated at that. Uh, I think there was a, a, a report here recently that said something like 65% of people who are receiving government assistance have jobs. They are working. They're doing what they can. Uh, and that's not even to look at the fact that, uh, at, at least at one point in the recent past, uh, there weren't enough jobs for the people who wanted to work. That's exactly right. So uh, we're going we're gonna to keep going. Uh, we're, this is a, a fun interview, and I'm talking too much. Uh, so we're going to address this a little bit more Uh, in the little bit of time we have left in our third segment. We're talking with Charles Beard from Catholic Zeta Worker Community here in Green Country. And you are listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. We're talking today with Charles Beard, a member of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community. Uh, and we're just having a grand old time. This is going to be the longest interview we've had to date because we're going to keep going through this segment uh, and we're going to blame Pope Benedict the Sixteenth because, um, uh, because, you know, he interjected quite a huge uh, little section in the middle of our interview and just kind of lengthened everything out. Well, he gets blamed for everything else. Why not for this? Uh, he, he does kind of get blamed for everything else, doesn't he? Uh, so... But we're going to continue our conversation about just structures and just wage. But before we do that, I've got something to give away. Uh, and you're not going to want to miss this one. I've, I haven't had anyone call in for the last few giveaways. They're piled up. You can still go and listen to the podcasts of those uh, at timothyputnam.com slash outside the walls. And if you listen to those older podcasts uh, and listen through them and answer that trivia question, if I still have the, the giveaway, I'll send it to you. Uh, they're piling up here in the office. So by all means, go back and listen to those podcasts, timothyputnam.com slash outside the walls. Uh, but today's giveaway, we're just going to do one. We've been doing two uh, for the listening audiences in the past, but you've only got one one chance this time. And we're giving away a beautiful icon of uh, Our Lady of Perpetual Help, care of uh, catholicsacramentals.org. Uh, they've made way for us to give this away. And so uh, we'll put a picture up on Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls of this beautiful icon of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. I, I just kind of fit with what we were talking about, I thought. So you've got a trivia question for us, Charles. Yes. And uh, so the first person who calls 918-928-KPIM, 918-928-KPIM, uh, and answers that question uh, then I'll contact you back and we'll get that shipped out to you. So, Charles, go right ahead. Who wrote the first modern encyclical on social justice and what year was it written? Who wrote the first modern encyclical on uh, on social justice and what year was it written? Now, for us, define what you mean by modern. Any time in the last 200 years, perhaps since the Industrial Revolution began. Sounds good. All right. So with the answer to that question, you can Google it. Uh, there's a couple of keywords that he said in there that will make that pretty easy to find. But you will have to dig uh, just a tad. And so it, the first person who calls me with that answer, 918-928-5746, uh, I will send that out to you. Beautiful icon. We'll put the picture up on Facebook. So let's continue with our conversation here, Charles. Now, we've talked about this question, and it's a question that we must address. We must at least look at it and have some answer. We might have different answers between people of goodwill. We can legitimately have disagreement on how to implement the answer, but we must address the question. Uh, and so here we have, we're faced with, with this question of just structures, of just wages. We're faced with uh, Christ's own words in Matthew 25, that whatever we do to the least of these, the brethren of Christ, we've done to him. But we're limited by the, the, the structures of our, our, our context, our social context, the laws uh, that we're surrounded by. You know, I, th I think the 33 cities have made it illegal to, uh, to feed the poor. There's some lawsuits out there about uh, our religious right to exercise our religion by feeding the poor. Those are things to watch. But w what are we to do here in, in our cities? How are we to take first steps 
to to do to the least of these rather than just writing a check what are things that we can do to to you know press up against the cheek to be face to face hands uh hands getting dirty uh taking care of the poor uh living out the church's preferential treatment for the poor the first and most important thing is don't think that the poor are far away mm-hmm. some of us live in poorer or richer neighborhoods uh, but the poor or people suffering is a better way of saying it. Maybe not physically poor, but um, emotionally or spiritually poor are right in front of us. So get to know your neighbors, um, mm-hmm. have a block party, you know, uh, have a barbecue, invite people over, have a beer. Um, if you get to know the people immediately next to you, you create a community. And when you create a community, you can bear one another's burdens more effectively if you know what they are because they're telling them to you and you're telling them, you know. I'm a little bit short and my uncle just died and I would really like it if I could borrow 50 bucks to get to the funeral, something like that. Right. Um, if you could do small things like that, uh, walk around your neighborhood and just pray a rosary and someone will eventually stop you and say, what are you doing? And uh, how you doing? And can you help me move my car? Right. Those things happen all the time if you're just willing to put forth the effort to do it. The second thing is uh, related is to get to know your town. Um, I live in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I grew up in Tulsa, and uh, Broken Arrow was this hoity-toity, rich, snobby (laughs) sort of town. Um, What part of Tulsa did you live in? (laughs) I grew up at 7th and Denver, which is not a nice area, or it wasn't then. It's nicer now. (laughs) But when, uh, when I moved to Broken Arrow, I realized there are poor people here. Yeah. And it was because I was willing to just drive around and uh, and see, oh, my God, these apartments are just as bad as anything you hear about in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. In Broken Arrow, I learned the poverty rate is actually higher than it is in the big city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you get to know your town and just try to find neighborhoods where that that are not being served and serve those neighborhoods. Yeah, um, that th- those are the two steps that I would uh, that I would urge your listeners to to take. You know, your parish may even have uh, some some ministry of compassion, some uh, charitable outlet within the church that's more than just writing the check, but going and volunteering and and working at the food bank, going to Catholic charities. You can uh, there in your local area and and volunteering. Do more than just write the check. Be present. Be hands on, uh, and and interact with the poor. And in doing so, you will uh, interact. With Christ. And finally, don't get frustrated when it gets difficult. It will be difficult. You're going to find people who are just impossible to deal with. Love them anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Christ also was very frustrating and sometimes difficult to deal with. And you uh, find Christ in him. Well, challenging words today, both from Benedict Sixteenth, from St. John Chrysostom, and from Charles Beard member of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community. You've been listening to Outside the Walls. Tune in next week as we talk with Tony Brandt of Casting Nets about the seven pillars of evangelism. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.